it won't take but a couple moments for you to realize how you can pray for me this morning. Um, I am the most non-sick in my family. And uh, so glad to be with you this morning, but um, God is going to have to work a miracle through me because I'm, I have nothing. I, my voice has been shot for days, and, uh, but God is good and God is faithful. Happy New Year. It is, we're, it's here. Some of you are thrilled that the old year is gone, and, and others, others are excited for what God is going to do. Um, you know, New Year's is obviously a tr- traditionally, you know, even in all, the whole world, a, a kind of a, a moment to celebrate a fresh start. That something new and something exciting is going to happen, and and really all it is is the calendar has changed. But for for a lot of us, it gives gives us the opportunity to feel like maybe we're going to do better, uh, make resolutions, um, expect some kind of a change in our lives, um, and begin to uh, really enjoy um, more of of life in the in the future. Hopefully, it turns us into optimists. I guess at times. So here here's a list of the. The top ten resolutions that Americans uh, have, and I'll bet you have as many. I have eight of them on my list. Okay, um, number one, lose weight. Number two, eat eat better. Number three, exercise more. Number four, stop smoking. Number five, stick to a budget. And I guess that implies having a budget too. By the way, um, <clears throat> number six uh, is save money. Number seven is get more organized. Number eight is be more patient. Number nine is to find a better job. And then number ten, at the very bottom, is to be a better person. That's kind of broad, I guess. Um, and like I said, a lot of those are on my list. I was, I was looking at uh, some New Year's uh, goals from 2008. And I was like, oh, brother, I don't bother doing that because you might as well just kind of repeat them. It does get a little discouraging. In fact, it, it often makes you wonder if there is ever real change in your life. And uh, so that is the hope, I believe, that, that God will give us this morning, that there is, there is an opportunity, that, but it's, it's not where we think it is, to experience in, in a new year uh, a new hope. Before we go any further, will you just take a moment and pray with me? God, I just pray that you will uh, work through my weakness and uh, open our eyes and hearts to your word and to the privilege that we have of recognizing and having hope, having new life in you and being able to embrace the, uh, the, the possibilities of a new year. I pray we do that today. I pray that we find um, in our hearts that you are at work, that your spirit will uh, bring us to life, to new life, and that you will help us, Lord, because we can resolve all we want and nothing is going to change. So we turn to you this morning and we commit our time to you as well in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to briefly touch um, three perspectives that we sometimes have on change, each of which maybe has a small nugget of truth, but is really lacking overall. And uh, apologies for using a sports analogy, but my first one is the mulligan. If you are a golfer, you know what a mulligan is. It's where you either ask or don't ask your friends to not watch when, when you've hit a terrible shot and you say, I need to do that one over again. And you put the ball down where it was and you hit a mulligan. 
When I was a little kid, I was ridiculous with mulligans. I would have, my golf bag would be filled with golf balls, and I'd be playing three at a time. And then I'd come in and I'd tell my dad I shot a 37. And he'd be like, yeah, but how many mulligans? And uh, I would say, well, I didn't count those. And he's like, well, then it doesn't matter. And uh, the thing about a mulligan is... It's kind, of a, it's kind of a neat thought, right? It, the idea is that God is the God of a second chance. That, you know, we've blown it, we've made mistakes, and that God is, is it's like a reset button on a game. Um, and perhaps you'd find that, that uh, reflected in Micah, where he says that, that who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression or the horrible golf shot? Um, of the remnant of his inheritance, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. And you know, in Christ, we really, we really do see that our the past has been wiped away, our sins have been removed from us, um, and the the idea of God of a second chance has a nice ring to it. But I'm unfortunately got to tell you, it's not it's not real solid biblically. Um, and and here's why: if I'm a, a golfer. And I stand on the tee box and I hit a terrible shot. And, and God is interacting with me and says, try again. Well, I may not be any better. And it depends on whether I know how to play golf, right? And, and so, God, you know, I could stand there all day and try over and over and over again and have God say, oh, I forgive that, try again. And unfortunately, what sometimes happens is we begin to overemphasize the idea of just trying harder and trying more. And the truth is, change in our lives is not about trying harder. If it were, then all of us would probably be able to really recognize a lot more change than we do. But, you know, we, we read a lot about effort and, and trying in, in the, uh, when we were hearing from Mike in the book of Galatians. And in chapter 2, uh, Paul teaches us this from uh, 2.21. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law or through my effort, then Christ died for nothing. So trying harder, I'm sorry to say, it doesn't work. It might for a moment. You know, people go like, flock like crazy to the, to the, uh, the gyms this morning, right? With, you know, because we're going to try. But it doesn't last long. It doesn't last very long on New Year's Day either. The thing is, it's, I think it's kind of attractive to us. It's attractive to try harder because we want to be people who are doing something about ourselves. We want to be able to say, well, I'm getting, I'm working on it. And, uh, it was, that was true in the first century when Paul was, was uh, talking to the Galatians and saying, you've got to stop this. They were, they were getting sucked back into the old religion, into the law, into fulfilling a bunch of rules and regulations. And he was saying there's no value in that. In, in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, did you receive the Spirit of Christ by your works of the law or by believing what you heard? And that question is a really good one for us this morning because we are not receiving God's blessing just by trying harder. We have to receive him by faith and we have to be trusting him with our lives and our hearts. It can't just be a matter of trying again as much as we'd want it to be. 
Okay, great. So you, you, you take that approach and you reject it. And sometimes we'll now swing to the other side of the pendulum and, uh, and we'll stop trying at all. And, and I, I'm using a term here this morning for the second approach to change in our lives, which is the participation trophy. All right, you heard that term before? You know what that is? It's, it's rampant in our society nowadays. Um, you get, you know, it's, it's politically incorrect to reward a winner and not reward the loser, and so everybody gets the same trophy. And, uh, and sometimes we embrace that and say, well, you know, I'm, I may not be any good at golf, but I'm no worse than you, and so I should, I should be rewarded equally. Or we might do that with one another and begin to say that it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter how you see your life or how messed up you are, as long as you're sincere and as long as you're trying and making an effort. And so there's a, there's a disdain for, for um, some of the biblical perspective that we have of, of, of striving and contending um, to grow in our, our walk with God. Now, I got a participation trophy about a month ago. It's the most amazing one I've ever gotten in my life. I got a, I'm, I'm a type 1 diabetic, and I've been going dealing with it for 18 years. And my doctor's office called me and said, I want you, we're inviting you to a banquet in your honor. And as I go, well, you and 100 other people, but, and, and I said, and we're going to give you a medal. And I said, what do you mean, a medal? For what? For being alive. And I thought... That is, that is really weird. <clears throat> and you know what? I went to that banquet. And it was very nice. It was put on by the drug company that made insulin, by the way. <laughs> so now you're getting where it came from. It was very nice. And so they gave me a medal for having it, being alive after 18 years of having diabetes. And I don't know. It feels really weird. I won't wear it. I just can't do it. Um, I, I will say I was kind of encouraged by people who, who got their 60 and 70 year medals. That was a little encouraging to me to think that people actually are striving for such for a lifetime. But I also thought that that's kind of the epitome of just showing up and winning a prize. And, and it doesn't mean a lot to me. But I suppose there's a nugget of truth as well in the idea of having a participation trophy. We are all made in God's image. God loves every one of us. He doesn't have a hierarchy, a preference of, of people one over another. Um, Christ died for all of us and recognizes the, the opportunity that we have to, to embrace eternal life with him no matter what's happening and whether we're the best or the worst in any particular area of life. Um, and also... As much as I'd like to say it was true, you know, spiritual pursuits are really not competitions. And, and I, so that's where I'm always careful with sports analogies because we're not here to compete with one another for God's favor. So, so there's the nugget of truth. But there's a huge problem with the perspective that, that, I'm, that I don't need any change in my life and that I'm really worthy of a participation trophy and that's all I need. And the problem is this. Victory is not universal. Okay? Not everyone is winning. And so let me just say it even more painfully. There are millions and maybe billions of people that are losing all right, they are losing their lives. They're, they're, they are without hope, without Christ, without the gospel, without any sense of understanding of their creator. 
And it does them no good to hand them a trophy and say, thanks for trying. Good job being earnest in what you believe. Because that is not, that it's doing nothing for them except, except uh, lifting up something that need not be lifted up, which is the folly of man. We're all in a mess, there's no doubt. But we do not need to be commending one another for the, the folly of humanity and for the, the, the separation that we all have uh, from God. And so it's important that we recognize that there is one hope. There is one solution for the issues of, that all human, beings, all human beings face, and that is Christ himself. Let me read for, for you 1 John 5, 11 and 12. It makes this as clear as can be. It says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And that, that is a stark and almost harsh scripture. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. There is a difference in Christianity and other world religions. Uh, We have got to recognize that our walk with Christ, our faith in him, is the only hope. And so the idea that we all are sincere and everybody's, you know, got a different perspective and we need to embrace them all and all roads lead to God and the idea of universal salvation has no place biblically and it has no place in our hearts you know paul paul is must have been a bit of an athlete because he did say in first corinthians chapter nine do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize so run that you may reach you may obtain it so let's not get into a mode where we don't care about uh the differences that we have with people who are walking in darkness. In fact, I'm going to just tell you this. The reason I think that we sometimes hand out participation trophies is because we want those people to be okay because we don't want to share the gospel. We don't want to proclaim Christ. We're just hoping that they'll somehow get through life and that they'll be okay at the end. Well, that's just not how it works. And and people, the people, our neighbors and friends are are perishing. In Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, it says, "As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another." The idea is a calling within the church and within the world to sharpen one another, to be involved in each other's lives, to be proclaiming the truth and love and to be a willing agent of change in each other's lives when iron sharpens iron sparks fly and it's painful and it it is it's ugly sometimes but it's good and it's what god has called us to do so we need to be about evangelism we need to be about encouraging our brothers and sisters to walk a different way and we also need to be about letting god make change in us and in me it is it is some warped sense of weird self-esteem theology to say well i'm i'm just fine you know god i'm just don't bug me you know stay don't judge me you know, we've got these terms, and it's like this, because we're, we're all special. And the thing is, uh, 
we're all needy. We're, we need each other. So we not only need to be willing to invest and help and encourage other people, we also need to be open to that. And as the new year unfolds, um, let's not just be satisfied in ourselves or even in, uh, in, in one another that, uh, that we don't need to be changed. So the third one, the third perspective, I guess, on change is the idea that it's all, it's all chasing the wind and we want to just escape from all of it. You know, the reality of New Year's Eve is that, you know, we talk about celebration. It's just a big excuse for people to drink too much and, and carouse and, and revel and all that. And mo- most of what I see doesn't have anything to do with some kind of idea of new life and new hope. Um, it's just... Uh, the indulging of the flesh uh, in and it 's not unique unique to new year 's day or new year 's eve although there 's more uh, there 's more drunk driver deaths um, last night than any other day in the whole year and uh, so there 's some serious issues with our society and how how we actually embrace change. What we really do is just try to hide from it and escape from it. Now, I suppose there is a nugget of truth in this one. It's a small nugget, okay? And that is that God is a God of celebration. God is a God who is, from the beginning, has called us to, to enthusiastically embrace and celebrate the hope we have in Christ. In John chapter 2, Jesus, uh, at the wedding in Cana, you know, turned water into wine and, and explained that while, uh, in other passages, that while he was present with the disciples, we should, we should be celebrating. And, um, and I love the idea of us coming together and lifting up the name of God and, and of celebrating. And, um, but it does not need to look like the way the world celebrates. The problem is that we're really not celebrating, we're just escaping. And the world is, is just filled with examples of people uh, running from reality, running from the new year, and just hoping that, that they can find a pill or some, some way of self-medicating and getting, getting through the upcoming year. And it's feeding the appetites of the flesh. Paul knew about that one in, in Romans 14 when um, he was actually teaching in, in a, the context of what's permissible to do in a celebration. And, but his conclusion is, is very pointed. He says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so there's a, there's a contrast, I think, to the kind of celebration that we typically see in our society at New Year, uh, New Year's Day, versus what how we ought to be celebrating as God's people, uh, in in a, the book to the or the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says Paul says this: Stop being foolish, but understand what the will of God is, and do not get drunk with wine, but for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and celebrating and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything in God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of, rever- out of reverence for Christ. So he's contrasting the kind of celebration we ought to have when we gather together uh, as the body of Christ. Um, I can tell you firsthand, and my story is nothing compared to some of yours, um, but I spent about a year in college celebrating, partying, okay, and my parents had gotten divorced and I was miserable 
and hated everything about life. And I, I drank for a year, just like crazy. And I was, was 19, and I think back then you could buy some sort of beer at the supermarket at that age. And I bought a lot of it and drank a lot of it. And none of it was of any help or any value. Um, but during that time, the Lord brought believers into my life who shared the gospel with me and helped me to understand and recognize the hope that I might have in Christ. And when I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior, one of the things that happened is I never, I didn't stop celebrating. I just did it right. I just did it in the Lord. I was overjoyed to be with God's people. From the very beginning, I've loved being in the body of Christ. I love being with all of you. I love being in this church. And I trust that we would too. I trust that we would set aside the kind of worldly celebrations that we see and enjoy and revel in the hope that we have in Christ. So trying harder doesn't work. Giving up on, and, uh, on change and, and saying there is no hope for change is self-defeating. And indulging the flesh is pointless because the flesh is never satisfied. So where is real change going to happen? It happens in the gospel. It happens in Christ and, the, and in the gospel of, of the, the good news that, that he's given us. And so for the rest of this message... And you can see right there, I've, got, I've written a little acrostic to help you recognize six different elements of the gospel. I don't want you to turn your mind off now because you're thinking, oh, but I'm already a Christian, I don't need this. The whole point of this morning is that the gospel is for us who love him and know him. I really think that too often as a church, as the church, we, we recognize grace and mercy and the, the hope of Christ in the gospel for the moment of salvation and then promptly walk away from it and spend the rest of our lives trying to make God happy in our, in our own endeavors and efforts and we abandon the gospel. Every one of these scriptures up there, up there for you, I'm looking at it that way, um, every one of those scriptures was written to the church or to God's people. So it's for us to embrace. I'm going to go through them very quickly. And it might give you some opportunity and hope to embrace real change in our lives going forward. The first point there, the letter G, is the greatness of God. And you recognize Genesis 1.1, which says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And with such a powerful beginning to the word of God, you would think that it would get grab our attention and maybe make us realize that Maybe life is not just about me. Maybe there is someone so far above me and so great and so awesome that everything about my life ought to be in subjection uh, and submission to my creator, to creator God. And so we then begin to strive to give glory to God and not to ourselves. And you know what? That is a great place to start in terms of thinking about change in your own life. What if you thought about change as not for your own sake, but for the sake of the body of Christ and the sake of the name and the glory of God himself. And that might help you. It might motivate you better than just trying to lose a few pounds because then you know you'd feel better, which is absolutely true, but maybe isn't sufficient. And then immediately upon recognizing the glory of God, we recognize our problem letter O, you know, and many of us know this scripture, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Absolutely true and absolutely critical to embrace. But I want to read that passage of scripture in context because it's really not just about the, the sin of our lives. 
if the emphasis is on the word all. Let me read, starting in verse 22. This might help you a little bit. The righteousness of God is manifested through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, our problem is that we're not just all sinners. We're also all in the situation where we can't fix ourselves. And so this passage of Scripture in the same sentence gives us the hope. It says that the redemption, it's the redemption of Christ that can make this, this life-changing impact in our lives. Yes, sin is a problem for everyone, but the hope that we have in Christ is available to everyone as well. Sin's penalty comes from Romans 6.23. Many of you know that passage as well. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is doing there is also talking not just about the death and the negativeness of, of this passage, but again also about the hope that we have. Let me read Romans 6 in context as well. Now that you have been set free from sin, he's talking to you and me now, by the way, people who know him and love him and are following him. Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, which is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're reading a passage of scripture that's reminding us and encouraging us that it's by God's grace that we're sanctified, that we're changing, that we can grow, and that we have the hope of being made right and righteous with him, growing in our knowledge of him and growing in in the ways that we can reflect in him. We have to stop thinking that grace ended at salvation. We have to stop thinking that we can now uh, embrace our own hard work to become better and more accepted by God. The payment for sin in the gospel comes from Romans 5.8, which says that God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is true for the skeptic, and it's true for those who have loved him their whole lives. Christ died in our place as a perfect sacrifice for our sins and also as a sacrifice for our weakness and for the failures that we have as his children trying to follow him. So the payment for sin and the payment for our own weakness is found in the cross and in the sacrifice that God made uh, in his son uh, on the cross, not only for eternal life, but also for this life that we have here on earth. And there's an expected response in the letter E. And this is very important because we don't want to leave this message as some kind of universal solution that uh, is embraced without effort, uh, uh, any effort on our part. In John 1.12, we read that, Yet to as many who have received him, to those who believe in his name, to them he has given the right to be called the children of God. It's to those who have received him and believe in his name. And uh, the context of that was that Jesus was speaking these words and he was saying, my own people do not receive me and they don't believe in my name. But you, and he, now he's referring to the Gentiles, but to, but to you, the Gentiles, any of us who would receive him, receive me, uh, you will be called a child of God. And uh, 
So there's the calling on us to receive, to trust in him, to believe in him, to give our lives to him. And that's the only way that we're really ever going to experience real change in our lives is Christ himself rising in our lives, giving us and breathing a new life into us. If, if that's not something you, you've ever done in your life, before we close uh, this message, you'll get an opportunity just to pray with me because this is the hope uh, of change in all of our lives. And then finally, life with Christ, the letter L. Um, Often we want to put L at the beginning of the gospel, but gospel doesn't begin with L. It ends with it. And life in Christ, the the effort, the, the... the resolutions, the, the desire to, to make uh, a difference in our lives comes at the end. It comes as a part of the, the sanctification that Christ himself is doing in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul teaches us that we were bought with a price and then commands us, so glorify God in your bodies. The context is that our bodies are now the, the home of the Holy Spirit of God if we have come to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that glorifying God is a, is a process that begins from the inside out. The Spirit of God now lives within us when we've come to know him. And so we have the chance to glorify him even in the, even in the weak and miserable flesh that we um, live out our lives in. But it can't start there. The flesh is the weakest part of, of who we are. And, and has really no power of its own whatsoever. It's an inside-out process. I want to I bring that home with a little um, visual analogy here for a moment. Um, a, a wonderful verse that uh, I want to spend just a second on comes from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, where Paul, he's kind of speaking about the, the real conundrum, the real uh, challenge of the human condition. You know, we're weak and pathetic and miserable and pitiful and needy and desperate and all that. But we have the kingdom of God within us as his followers. And he says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And in that picture, in that analogy, we are a jar of clay. I I use the term crackpot. We're all cracked, warped. Clay, I don't know, I hate, I don't want to drink my coffee out of a clay pot. That sounds awful, all right? It's probably leaky and uh, certainly crumbling and going back to earth, you know? But in that jar, as, as a follower of Christ, is the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. This treasure in a jar of clay. And the, the reason God does that is so that we get no credit. You know, we look at our own vessels, our own weaknesses. It would be good to say, yeah, this is anything good that comes out of me is not from me, it's from God. So let me show you an analogy of where, and it's important. To recognize where do we put, where do we get our value from? Is it on the inside or the outside? So I have two jars here, and they're not jars; they're bottles. Okay, this one is a bottle of Coke, and it's from, it's a commemorative from a six-pack of Coke that I have from Super Bowl 32, 1998. Okay, I got it because the Broncos won the Super Bowl, and I. Not that I'd ever forget that, because it was a great moment in my life, but a great way to commemorate that, right? Um, now, I suspect that this Coke is pretty lousy. I don't know for sure, 
But my grandma used to have Coke like this around her house. Like, they came in steel cans. I mean, she was terrible about uh, things like expiration dates. And when you'd open up a really, really old bottle of soda, it was really awful. But this is worth about 50 bucks on eBay, the six-pack of that. So you think, wow, that's pretty cool. It's valuable because, because of what it commemorates, not what's on the inside. Now, don't freak out. I brought a bottle of wine to church. Okay, don't freak out. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appeal to Mark 2, Matthew 9, and Luke 5, where Jesus talks about different ways of wine and wineskins and all that, okay? This is a tw- 2012 bottle of Cambria, uh, Pinot something or other, Pinot Noir, all right? It's really good wine, at least I've heard. And, uh, and it's worth about $50. You know why? Not because it's commemorating anything, but because of what's on the inside, not, not what's on the outside. It's just the polar opposite of a bottle of Coke from 20 years ago. And uh, the truth is that the value of this is also kind of zero until we eventually decide to ever open it. Um, I suppose that, I don't know, does wine get better with age in a bottle? I'm not sure that's really true. Um, and so the only value co- uh, of this comes from what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. They're actually both made of the same thing, some kind of glass. You know, it's probably worth a few pennies. And uh, that glass, in my mind, represents the jar of clay. And uh, some of us have spent our lifetime trying to spiff up the jar of clay. And it's really easy to do. And also very discouraging, by the way, because the more we look in the mirror, the more we realize that that jar of clay is beginning to crumble. We're getting older. And, uh, and so the importance of this is to recognize where our value comes from in the eyes of God. It comes from in, within, not from what's on the outside. Many of our New Year's resolutions focus on um, polishing the bottle, and that's fine. It really is fine because it's, you know, we're the... We need to take care of the, the temple that God has given us. But we have to embrace the fact that God changes us from the inside out. And we need to focus on pouring ourselves out, pouring the Spirit of God and pouring the hope we have in Christ back to God in worship and into one another's lives. Otherwise, we're of no value at all. We're just holding a liquid within us and, and have nothing to show for it. So I, I trust that that might give you a, a visual that might help you just a little bit if you think about uh, what you want to do with this upcoming year. I'd encourage you to think about how you can pour yourself into, into the lives of those around you, how you can pour yourself back to God in, in thanksgiving and worship, how you can give of yourself to, uh, because of the power of the Holy Spirit within you to, uh, to lift up his name. And, and not be so worried about the fact that, you know, what's on the outside is, is, a, is a crackpot. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to pray twice. And the first time I pray is just for an opportunity that if you have never embraced the true change that comes from following and living with Christ, that you might pray along with me. And uh, the second prayer I'm going to offer is one for all of us as well. And that is to, to offer up a, a prayer of that we might find our hope in Christ in the upcoming year. So as we close, will you just take a moment and pray with me?